I think because I'm very open about who I am and I'm very open about what I stand for, I think it's something that's that's pretty clear to people from the get-go. I'm super intentional about who I spend my time with and, and, and who I give my energy to. Hey friends, happy International Women's Day. To celebrate all you wonderful gals out there, we have another fun episode for you. And this time, we brought on Indra. Indra is a bold and beautiful leader in every sense of the word. She's worked for a major outdoor company and now focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, as we may refer to it in the episode. But her big project right now is Inclusivity, a platform dedicated to minorities in the ski communities. They offer a safe space for underrepresented folks in the snow sport world by breaking barriers, challenging norms, and connecting with others. Totally on brand for us, definitely something you need to check out. We covered a lot in this episode. TLDR, you should just keep listening. As always, we hope you enjoy. a podcast about everyday badass women who love the outdoors and are unafraid to be unapologetically themselves in the backcountry, regardless of norms and expectations. I'm Emma. And I'm Allie. On this podcast, we hope to share our love of backcountry shenanigans with those like us, those that inspire us, and those that are excited to discover their interest in the outdoors. listeners we are back um, and we have a guest on today again to talk about some medium spicy level topics so we've brought Indra on she's one of Emma's friends so Emma I'll let you do a bit more of an intro for Indra and then we'll let her tell us about her own experiences herself yeah so I actually met Indra way back um, at UBC which feels way back because it was now like three or four years ago but we worked together through um, a program at the school called, well, it was UBC Recreation. So we ran all the recreational events. Yeah. So I met Indra through UBC Rec and she was a major leader in that program, which was great because right from the get-go, I knew she had fantastic leadership qualities and was just a spearhead in many domains. And then since graduating, Indra's moved on and you've worked for a major outdoor company and now transitioned to a different role which I'll let you explain later, as well as you've recently moved to Squamish, which is where I live. So welcome. I'll let you give your own intro, Indra, from here. Awesome. Thanks, Emma. Yeah, UBC does feel like a lifetime ago, and it feels like I've lived many lives since. But yeah, right after graduating, I started working in the outdoor industry, and largely because I saw a huge issue in terms of inclusion and representation within the outdoor industry. And I really wanted to work within the industry to try and make change from the inside. And so I worked within the industry for a couple of years and didn't really get to where I saw myself going. And so during my last probably six months or so working at that company, I actually started my own organization called Inclusivity that is all centered around inclusion and representation within the snow sport community. 
Um, I think I struggled finding a space there a lot myself. And I just didn't really want that for other people coming forward. I just didn't really feel like the culture that is what ski and boarding is right now is that it's not what the culture needs to be moving forward. And so I really created this organization to center the experiences of marginalized folks. Um, but that's really been a core passion project of mine. And then I actually ended up leaving the outdoor industry and I now work in hospitality uh, doing diversity, equity, and inclusion. And while it's like a huge pivot in terms of industries, it's been really awesome being able to have my boots on the ground, taking what I've even learned from inclusivity and moving it into uh, the hospitality industry. And so getting to work with restaurants and focusing on representation and inclusion and celebrating all sorts of cultural events through stores um, has been a really tire pumping, validating, and full of growth experience. So I'm really fortunate that I get to do a lot of skiing on the side and, and keep my passion for skiing alive and then keep doing diversity, equity, and inclusion, but kind of outside of the industry for my nine to five. So yeah, like I said, many lives lived since UBC for sure. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it. Thanks for sharing kind of like your story since then. I mean, obviously, like we said, you're mainly Emma's friend. So it's really good for me to hear kind of that progression as well. So Indra, among the many communities that you are a part of, one of your biggest projects right now is Inclusivity, which you are the founder and sole creator of. Snaps to that. And I just wanted to hear more about that and your motivations behind creating it. Yeah, totally. Um, I love inclusivity. It definitely came up in a time in my life where I just needed something to pour my energy into and really needed to make, really felt this calling to make some tangible change within the outdoor industry. Um, and it kind of came in abouts in two different pieces. Back in 2020, in no November or so, I want to say, um, I had applied for a mountain mentorship program that I didn't actually end up getting into because I didn't have my AST one and I had all the gear, but I just didn't have the course yet. And the course was really expensive. And, and that cost just felt like a big barrier to entry. There never really felt like there was a good time to put that money down for it. And so I'd reached out to somebody and was like, Hey, like, are there any opportunities like scholarships for BIPOC trying to get avalanche safety courses? And the person was like, mm, not that I know of. And I was like, great, I'm going to, I I guess I'm just going to do it. Like, I guess that's what I'll create. Cause that's somehow how my brain works. Like my brain is like, oh, there's a problem that doesn't have a solution yet. Like go for it. You can do it. Um, and luckily I'm, I have a really well-connected friend in the sea to sky. And I told her my idea and she just was like full support right away. Got Burton involved on the project, reached out to another friend who, uh, helped get Evo involved and really just all like through community was able to tie in some great stakeholders who were able to make the course entirely free for all the participants. And so the way that it came about was it was it was a AST one course for black, indigenous and women of color. And so we ran the first ever one in January of 2021. Um, and at that point, like when I was creating it, it was separate from inclusivity. It was just this like idea that I had that would be a one-off. Um, and then we did it and it was just the most beautiful, amazing space I, I had ever been a part of. Like I just, everybody arrived so authentically because there was never any sort of pressure to be anything else. 
something that I often feel when I'm skiing and not as much now, but definitely in the beginning was I just felt like I had to represent all of these identities. Like I had to represent what it meant to be a woman in snow sports and then what it meant to be a South Asian person in snow sports and then what it meant to be a South Asian woman in snow sports. And I just always felt like that was so much weight to carry and I could never just be Indra. And then when we did this BIPOC AST1 course, I was just Indra and everybody was just who they were. There was no expectation of them other than to arrive. And it was beautiful. Like just the ability of everybody to be there as they were and not afraid to fall, not afraid to be slow, no apologizing, like none of that because everybody was there for the same purpose and that was to learn. Um, and we were even standing in line. I remember beside another AST one course and it was like a bunch of white dudes and then like a couple white women. And I was like, oh gosh, no, like I want, I want no part in that. Cause I could feel how I would act in that situation. Like talking about self-censorship, I could totally see how I would try to morph to fit that person and how I would feel pressure to be really fast at skinning or to be really great skiing at POW coming down because I was representing and holding all these identities. And I was that, that like model of what that demographic was in these people's eyes. And so having all of that stripped was like the most beautiful experience ever. And I think something that I really learned from that experience was like, sometimes you don't know that something is a barrier until it's removed. Something that kind of comes to mind when you're talking about the culture in the snow sport world is kind of what we wanted to get at with this episode, which is that Emma and I, since creating the podcast, have been thinking a lot about the ways in which we kind of censor ourselves. Um, And probably a very common experience for um, people that are in, like you said, in the snow sport industry who aren't fitting the mainstream culture of that world. Um, And so we thought Indra would be a great person to kind of talk about this topic with because she not only has personal experiences to share, but also she's, as she said, she's got boots on the ground in the diversity, equity and inclusion world. So we're really excited to have someone who's actually an expert and will do more than just kind of have like an angry feminist rant, which is what we usually do. So yeah. Just to reiterate what Ali said, I think it's a common sentiment among a lot of people, not just in the outdoor communities, but in honestly, probably any community you're in, just that kind of dimming of your own opinions or your own thoughts or your own identity in order to appease uh, a certain audience. The most common example that I feel, and I've already talked with a lot of my friends about is personally, my more feminist opinions, I want to share and I want to be loud and confident in my opinions. And, and when I turn to my male allies or those males who I would consider my allies, I see myself, like I said, dimming my opinions in order to appeal to them and not make them feel too uncomfortable or come off as too strong. I don't always feel great about it. I hope in this episode that we can dig into the times where that's not productive, it's unhealthy, or it's, you know, toxic. And the times where it might actually be productive and useful and maybe a healthy way to go about it. So yeah, there's so much here. And I think oftentimes when we're having these conversations with people, I know for me, the way that I approach the conversation varies on a whole bunch of different things. Like it's going to be contingent on how well I know this person 
And if I, if, if we have a relationship that's really close that needs to be saved or that needs to continue, or if they're doing something super harmful that needs to just be shut down, like, I think I agree. I've found myself in a position so many times where I've just either really dulled down what the point I was trying to make, or just not said anything at all when I maybe should have said something. And I just feel like I am always balancing who I am versus who I want somebody to perceive me to be. And I think I have a hard time with it because, you know, when inclusivity started, it actually started as interviews. It started as having spicy conversations with people about things that are wrong in the industry. But what I found was that, you know, then the perception of me became like, she's really intense. And it's just, I don't know, being perceived that way. I know we like to pretend like we don't care what people think about us, but it was just something where I was like, but that's not, that's not true to me. Like I'm having conversations that matter and I'm having conversations that I think need to be had. And so I'm going to keep putting them out there. But I think there were definitely moments of, of being scared that people would think I was too much or too intense and then wanting to, and wanting to have those conversations in a productive way. And so I feel like inclusivity ended up switching to go more towards programming because that's where I felt like, okay, at this point, I'm not trying to convince anybody that there's a problem. I'm going to instead create spaces for people who, who would like these spaces for black indigenous and women of color who would like to see a space that is meant for them instead of trying to convince predominantly white men that these spaces need to be created. So something that comes to mind for me when you're talking about kind of this idea of like convincing someone else that there's an issue. This is something within the self-censorship topic that I really struggle with, where if I have an opinion that I want to share or I'm having a conversation or a debate with someone about something I feel strongly about, I feel like I have to censor myself to only things that I can provide a concrete piece of evidence for or else my credibility will be torn apart. And so for me, sometimes the self-censorship comes from that, where it's like, I can only feel like I can only speak to things that I can provide like citations signed, sealed and delivered. So is that something that you ever experienced with um, like some of your conversations with inclusivity or your, like you said, work trying to convince like white men that this is important? Oh my goodness. I, all the time. Like even with family members or people that I love with men predominantly, I feel like I've been told so many times to remove the emotion from the argument. And it just drives me bonkers. Like every, like all the time it's, I get told like, take out the emotion. Like, okay, you feel that way. Great. But like, where are the numbers? Like, where's the statistical evidence? I'm a, I'm a crier. I get really emotional and I've had to like really teach myself to not cry while like having an argument with somebody. Sometimes I just get so attached to something and I've had to rem- try to remove that emotion, whether or not I think that's actually the right thing. It doesn't really matter. Like right now, it honestly just feels like people are looking for the data points. Folks of color get judged on a really intense scale. Like, I think that there's extra scrutiny to the things that we're doing. People really love to to poke holes into our work. And so any sort of slip up just gets extra scrutiny around it. 
that's at least how I how I feel. That argument actually drives me up the wall of, um, you know, why are you so emotional or remove the emotions from this? Or where's the data? Like you're only one person because like, especially if you're talking to just your friends, like doesn't your opinion on its own standalone, doesn't that hold any ground? Like, doesn't that count? Doesn't that matter? It's almost, especially with these types of topics that are heavier, it's impossible to remove the emotion from it. Like it is subjective. It's how I feel. It's my experiences. I can't, I can't separate the two. They go together and they're still valid. I think it's very easy for people that don't have an emotional stake in the conversation to say that. So for example, men who say that women are being emotional, I get this all the time. People saying that, well, like you're getting worked up about this, but like, just look at it objectively. And I'm like, I'm getting worked up because this is something that I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Same thing with like, people of color, like, of course, they're going to get worked up when you're talking about racist issues. Like this is something that affects them personally. And to act like that conversation can or should be had without any emotion removes the humanity from it and kind of defeats the whole purpose. Like it's just, yeah. Totally. It's like politicizing people's right to exist in spaces. Like that's a lot of what inclusivity was speaking to in in those interviews was just people's sense of belonging in spaces. And when you look at the comment sections, people would be like, there's no problems here. Like the trees aren't racist, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, of course we're gonna get defensive over that because we've now like politicized like our right to exist somewhere. It's just super exhausting and dehumanizing. And like, why should it be another way to include the emotion like we've talked about? To include the emotion into it humanizes it and humanizes a person. If somebody's unable to empathize or, you know, they feel uncomfortable talking about these issues, like, then that's the problem. Um, If you feel comfortable sharing, like maybe an example of a time that you censored yourself or, as we've said, kind of dimmed your idea down or made it more palatable. Totally, totally. I'll let something come to mind, but I really like what you said about palatable, because this is something I struggle with as a South Asian woman. I don't think I get as much um, stereotyping around anger as other women of color do in particular, but I found I've had a really hard time with this whole palatability thing. And I think it mostly lies within organizations who are looking for consultation for diversity, equity, and inclusion consultation. And they're going towards whoever they find to be the most palatable. And they're going to choose whoever is going to tell them that they're not actually doing that bad. Like they don't want to come to me and have me tell them like, this is awful. Like you have so many problems back here. They don't want to hear it. They're going to go to the consultants who maybe look a bit more like them and who are doing this work in a bit more of a palatable, maybe less angry, angry feminist way. When you're doing this line of work, I've I've had to show people like the high level areas of change and then spoon feed them the steps because sometimes where you want a company or an organization to be is so far from where they're currently at. And so I feel like I have to like really meet them at the beginning. And like, like we said, like dim that light a little bit and slowly turn it up so that it can be at its full brightness eventually. But if you go all the way and show them everything, 
it's going to be so bright. It's going it, they're going to be like jarred. If you're just going to go, for example, I work in, I work in the hospitality industry. Um, and we want to like explore, you know, how do we get more women working in the kitchen? It's really, this is a really interesting side note that I find so funny working in a kitchen, like working professionally in a kitchen is a male dominated career. However, when you take it into like homework, it's always women who are bashed for working in the kitchen and women belong in the kitchen. But then when it's a paid thing, women are so underrepresented. Anyway, that's a side tangent, but I think about it a lot. But yeah, we want to talk about how to get more women in the kitchen. And it's like, yeah, tomorrow we could go and hire like a ton of women who are chefs. But if we don't have a culture that can hold it, like the vessel's just going to break. We're just going to lose all of them very quickly. And so showing that like long-term step-by-step change, I think helps people get to the final result faster than just being like, this is where you need to be. I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about how you apply your strategies from your nine to five to your more personal life, especially your passion project, which is inclusivity. Is it the same or do you feel like you have more space because it really is your own realm? Uh, Inclusivity came before my current nine to five. And so I think I definitely pulled learnings from inclusivity into my nine to five and pulled just like strategy, but also awareness of the importance of these psychological safe spaces Um, and like the success and the growth of inclusivity. I was really able to pull into creating strategy for a larger company. But with that being said, like, I think I learned, I took a lot of what I learned from inclusivity and applied it to work, but I don't necessarily have to do the same thing with um, work to inclusivity because it is my own thing. And because I am kind of the sole person running it at the moment, there's definitely moments where I have to pitch ideas to brands or I have to pitch getting funding for something where I feel like there is a bit of that spoon feeding element, but in the same breath, I think I'm actually really lucky in the sense of uh, the grants that I'm working on are actually pretty amazing because they have allowed me so much freedom and they've just kind of been like, we trust that you know what you're doing. And we actually gave you this money because this is your subject matter expertise. And so you just go do you and like, let us know how it goes. Um, And I'm very grateful to work with brands that um, brands and yeah, organizations that allow me that freedom. Like Evo is a great ally. Um, Arteryx also has really great community grants that are very friendly. There is this drive to change within the outdoor industry. Like you definitely have to find the pockets, but I think that there, because there's been so much conversation about it, um, I have found it this year, especially a little bit easier um, to reach out to people, explain what we're up to and get that support. It sounds like there's definitely like, although there are some differences, there are kind of some parallels between like your work with your passion project with inclusivity. And then also like Emma said, your nine to five. But I'm also wondering about how these things kind of parallel just like in your everyday life. Like if you're just out shredding on the weekend with a group of friends, like how these things might change or how you address situations where maybe like something is said that's not in agreement with how you feel or an environment doesn't feel the way that you want it to. 
how do you address those situations? And do you ever find yourself self-censoring in that context? Totally. Yeah. Great question. I feel like as I've gotten older, one of those pieces about coming out of university was feeling like I had total ownership and decision over who I surrounded myself with. Anytime you're in school, there's just a lot of people you hang out with because of convenience. And I found those situations to actually be the most frustrating at points because you're hanging out with a friend who is like just a friend because you have a bunch of classes with them and they say something and you're like, whoa, like backpedal. Let's talk about that. But now I feel that I think because I'm very open about who I am and I'm very open about what I stand for. I think it's something that's that's pretty clear to people from the get-go. I'm super intentional about who I spend my time with and, and, and who I give my energy to. Sometimes it's just not worth my emotional peace. And I find a way to just kind of like slowly excuse myself from the situation. And I think that that's something that I've had to really get comfortable with is like understanding what emotional peace feels like and which ways I'll stand to be treated and which ways I just absolutely won't like who's worth having a conversation with and who's just not. I've, I've had, you know, some like really difficult conversations with, with close, uh, with close people in my life. And I just have had to set some really firm boundaries on, on what is worth it. Because unfortunately, sometimes like some people just won't change and you have to get really selfish about who you want in your life. All these situations you're describing, I definitely can relate and I've had similar ones, but what about the more subtle ones? I know that I've sat with friends who I genuinely care about and genuinely want in my life. And they'll not necessarily say something, but just they're like, and they're just acting in a way that I'm like, oh, I'm starting to sense that you're being condescending or something similar to that. I'm not going to go into every example of the ways I felt with my friends, but actually a good example. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but we hang out with our friends and especially these outdoor spaces and the consensus on your, like your attitude in these spaces should be bro-y. Like you want to be with the guys and you want to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk with your bro-y friends. But I find that myself and when I'm with just my like very, very close girlfriends, I notice that I'm more wholesome and I feel like I can't allow myself to be so wholesome. And I kind of have to act a little bit more bro-y when I'm around another group because that's just what that group's attitude is. It never goes so far as that I'm, you know, so noticeably uncomfortable, but it's like this gnawing in the back. And I never know, should I say something? If I say something, are they going to be insulted? Are they going to think I'm so upset about this? I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but I feel bad. I'm like, I, maybe I should be saying something. Maybe I'm not taking initiative. Maybe I'm being complacent or passive in these situations. Do you ever feel that way? I hang out with a lot of girls, probably because I was sick of feeling that way. (laughs) Like I'm notoriously, I just remember somebody once saying something to me where like I'd shown up to somewhere with just like one girlfriend And they were like, wow, that's so unlike you. You normally have like an army of 10 women with you, which is so true because I agree. And and I'm sick of feeling that way. Like just kind of having to mold into that like environment. And I totally hear what you're saying on that wholesomeness. 
But my question for you, I'm so curious, what would you say? Like, if you were like, I want to say something, like, what does that part of you that wants to say something, what would it say? Well, I guess that's kind of where I'm at is what do I say? Because they're my friends. I want them to know that they're my friends. Actually, maybe I would say just that, Hey, you guys are my friends and I care about you, but I feel this way with you sometimes. And I wish I didn't. I actually, and I've talked about this on a previous episode, um, but I actually sat this group of friends down and uh, said, like, these are the ways you're making me feel. I don't think I'm alone in these feelings. I think there's other people in the group that feel this way. This is what I need to see in you to feel better. And like, I obviously gave space for them to say their thoughts and opinions and then it became kind of a back and forth and we both had constructive criticism for one another um, and we moved forward and I've seen positive change in my group of friends from that conversation, but I basically had like a meeting, like a sit down meeting. Sometimes I feel like it is unfortunately a bit of trial and error and I find um, as much as we like to rant and as much as we acknowledge that there's a lot of shitty situations and, and things that happen out there, a lot of the time people do surprise me where, for example, we're talking about this bro atmosphere and I find with the bro atmosphere, one of the things that comes up for, with climbing, for example, is like, if you don't send a route that you should be able to climb, there has to be an excuse where it's like, oh, the rock was kind of wet or like, like there's always has to be like a little excuse instead of like, for me, a lot of the time, if I don't climb something, the reason is like, wow, I just really was not feeling good on that route. And I did not want to try that scary move. And I just didn't feel like I was scared or I was like, I just don't feel motivated today. Or I just feel kind of anxious today and I don't want to do it. And I find that sometimes I like this self-censorship thing, I'll be holding back from saying that. But then if I actually do say it, whoever I'm with, and I climb with a lot of dudes, they'll be like, oh yeah, that's fine. Like they'll, they'll just have like no negative reaction to that. And, and sometimes it really is. And I think it's the same thing with Emma's situation. Like she sat those people down and they were like there to have the conversation. They were open to it. You don't know that someone's going to be open to it or you don't know that someone's going to be supportive until you give them a shot. And sometimes they never get that shot because they've already given you a vibe or they've already made small comments and you already know that you can't even broach that. But sometimes you do and you're pleasantly surprised. And I, those moments are really nice. And I think it's why we need more women in these spaces. Cause I think what I'm hearing from both of you is that the spaces that you're in are being fed by toxic masculinity. Even if it's just like a little bit of it, like this inability to say, yeah, I, I didn't get like, I didn't send that route because I was tired. Like that, like, I don't think dudes ever really say that that much. Or sometimes when I'm like ski touring and if I'm not having a good time, I will literally say like, I am not having fun right now. Cause I just need to like say it and release it. And then I can get past it and start having fun. I, it just, it, sends me back to, you know, Thanksgiving. I went on a bike trip with, there were four girls. And then on our second day, two guys joined us and they came in knowing well that it was girls trip. And they just like fully gave in to this like cushy, like emotional space. And we sat there doing love language quizzes, talking about what our love languages meant. It was beautiful. They gave in to girls trip and we shredded on our bikes, might I add. Like we went and we shredded all weekend long. And then we sat by the fire. We sat at the Legion and we talked love languages. And it's just like, 
these are the spaces that need to be created. Like it was so beautiful. It was so cute. And like, I've gone skiing with one of those guys as well. And he is like the best little Instagram husband who's just there to like take a video of you trying 180s. Like, I feel like sometimes we just need to like create the space. Like Emma, you, you sitting down and having that conversation almost maybe gave them permission to act in a way that they feel like they're not allowed to act maybe like leading by example and like creating spaces that we want to be in and then giving people the opportunity to stay or leave. I love that. I love the idea of I created this space. It's yours to come into it and join me. If you don't, then you're not worth my energy. And it goes back to what you said, Indra, about, you know, that inner peace. Like you take that first step, you created the space and that's if you choose to do that, that's all you need to do. And that's exactly, that's exactly the main objective of Wildly Basic is that these outdoor spaces can be basically whatever you want them to be. Yeah, Indra, I'm really like just impressed that, you know, you keep bringing up the word authentic um, and talking about being authentically yourself. And I feel like this you know, this talk that we just had with you, I think it really speaks to that because these things that you're doing and these conversations that you're having and these values that you have, it's consistent throughout your life. You know, you're doing that in your nine to five paid job. You're doing that in your volunteer slash now like big organization with inclusivity. Like you're doing that in your passion project and you're doing that in your personal life with your friends and in your hobbies, living those values throughout all those spheres of your life. And I think it's a really inspiring thing for our listeners and for us to hear because as we said about self-censorship sometimes it's hard to do that and you're kind of like like you said you're talking the talk and you're walking the walk so thank you so much for sharing your experiences yeah Indra thanks so much for being here and I just feel super inspired and motivated I'm going to the climbing gym after this and I just feel like I'm gonna take all of these feelings with me and just really you know lay them out on the on the wall so thank you for that alone the session alone thank you both so much for having me I feel like wildly basic is how I feel every day living in the sea to sky where you feel like you're original but you're also just like every other bitch so I'm so happy to be here (laughs) I feel like it really speaks to how I feel on a daily basis and it was so great being able to talk some of those things that I've just been holding on to for so long Yeah, thank you so much, Indra. Thanks for listening to Wildly Basic. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Instagram, at Wildly Basic Podcast. Our marketing director is Emma. Our editor-in-chief is Ali. Artwork by Emma... Music and sound by Allie. Co-hosted by Emma and Allie. Thanks for tuning in. Happy Happy trails. trails!